Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. So how many of you ever had your mom say, be good? You know, uh, probably every one of us have experienced that from our moms. In fact, when Jeff Miller was a boy, his mom would often say, be good when he left the house. Do you think when he leaves the house now, Sherry, after 40 some years of marriage, that she still has to say, be good? (laughs) For Jeff, probably. Maybe I should have picked Ed and Amanda instead of Jeff and Sherry. But, you know, um, the truth is, telling somebody, be good, feels, feels just slightly childish, doesn't it? It's not something you say to loved ones, not ones that are taller than you. But the truth is, be good is also spiritual. And last week, as we looked at kindness, we read two verses from Romans 12. And the first was Romans 12, 9, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Actually, we read the whole chapter 12 of Romans, but there are two verses that spoke about goodness. And then the 21st verse says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, in a little bit, we're going to be starting reading in Galatians chapter 5. You can turn there. But as you turn in there, I want you to think about what Peter did when Peter described Jesus. Peter described Jesus of Nazareth. He was talking to the Roman centurion. And here's what Peter said. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power, uh, with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So did you catch that? Jesus was fully connected with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He was anointed and empowered. So what did he do with that great power? Well, Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good, for God was with him. He did good. So today we're looking at another aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. We need to realize that be good is a deeply spiritual pursuit. It's a spiritual activity we can pursue every single day. And so uh, we're working, the Holy Spirit is working to produce goodness in your life. He's working to make it happen, to have it show up in your life, Just like a fruit tree brings forth fruit, the Holy Spirit wants to see this fruit that has nine characteristics, one of which is goodness. The Holy Spirit will supernaturally produce goodness in your life. You'll be able to do good if you are trusting and following Him. Now, it doesn't happen automatically. You say, wait a minute, the Spirit's doing it should be automatic, right? When God said, let there be light, 
there was light. God didn't say, let there be light. Mm, not light yet. Let's try it again. No, but see, when God works in people, he works differently than he works with things. With things, he could say to this fig tree, shrivel up and die. And that's exactly what the fig tree did. It shriveled up and died. But with people, God doesn't force himself on them. He doesn't uh, mandate they do exactly what he wants all the time. What he does is he gives you an opportunity and he gives you the capacity to then do what he wants you to do. So you can resist the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. God's not going to force you to do exactly what the Holy Spirit wants. But if you are following Jesus Christ sincerely from your heart, then this will be showing up in your life. You'll become gooder and gooder, right? <laughs> gooder and gooder, yep. Yeah. It'll happen. So uh, today we're going to look at some passages of Scripture. We're going to look at a couple of them together, and then I'll read some of them to you. And I, I just want you to think about be good, okay? Starting with Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is, read it with me, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. It's all part of one fruit. That's why we've had this slide up every week, so that you can see all of these are characteristics of the fruit. I saw somebody tried to make this work on a tree. And so he had a tree and on the tree in one area there was cherries and another area there was pineapples and another area. And he had nine different fruits all growing from the same tree. This is one fruit with nine characteristics. And so all of this, now he says at the end of verse 22, against such there is no law. If you're doing these things, there is no law on earth or in heaven that will condemn you if you are doing these things and living these out and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring this forth in your life. So, look at uh, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7. It says, Do not be deceived, for God is not mine. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, we don't operate on an agricultural basis. How many of you, either now or in the past, have full-time worked on a farm? Raise your hand. Why do you come up hard? I know you're tired because you work on the farm. <laughs> right, so in all of this room, there were several hands that went up. I never did full-time, uh, but I did part-time uh, work on a couple of different farms. And, uh, you know, it, it's challenging work. And, and if you're in an agrarian culture like they were, when they talk about sowing and reaping, everybody understood that. They weren't picturing, you know, a needle and thread and sewing, S-E-W. They were picturing sewing, S-O-W, planting stuff into the ground. So in our culture, 
uh, how would we view that in our culture? Well, for you IT guys, we would say, uh, the code you put in is the code you get out. You do the code right, it works. You don't, the garbage comes out. Uh, for you who uh, love cooking, well, it's all in the ingredients and the way you mix those ingredients together. Bad ingredients or bad mixing process ends up with bad dinner. So unless you're intentionally trying to ruin the meal for somebody, you want to have good stuff and a good process. Uh, for those of you who work in your own business, there's, there's rules in that that we can say, all right, this is how it works. In their culture, everybody either worked on the farm or lived around the farm or bought stuff from the farm. That was their culture. So when he says you're sowing, that's when you're breaking up the ground and, and you're, you're adding, I, I, I have a picture, I've never used it here, but I took it one day when I was out walking, I, was, I walk on the farm roads around here. And uh, one day I was watching this guy in a tractor go by and I wished I'd taken a video. All I took was a picture of it. He's one of those big tractors, you know, where you're sitting like you're on the second story of something at way up high. And he's, got, and he's got this absolutely perfectly straight row. And his tractor is cutting, I, I think those 20 rows, got a big, huge, long, wide blade on the back. And, and it's just cutting those grooves. And, and he's driving along, and you look, and I, there's not much wiggle room. Those roads are almost perfect. And I thought, that thing must be so big that, that it's so heavy. That it, and then he got closer and he got closer. And when he got right up to me, he did a quick wave because he couldn't let go. I watched, he was bouncing in that cab. The steering wheel was bouncing, his body was bouncing, he was moving all over, and he was keeping it going straight. But he was sowing, he's breaking up the ground, so then the people would come behind him with the seed and put the seed in, and then they'd come behind with the fertilizer, and then they'd start watering it like crazy, and then a great crop would grow. But you know, we have different things grow. Megan used to live over in our neighborhood, now she lives over here. And in, in the neighborhood she used to live in, behind the house there was a field. And oh, it smelled so good when they planted the peppers in there, didn't it? That was great, the peppers smelled good. When they planted the cotton, it never smelled good, especially when they were harvesting it, because they, they spray the cotton plants so that the plant itself shrivels up. And you mostly see sticks with cotton balls on it, and then they harvest that. But when they did that spray to kill all the leaves and stuff, it didn't smell very good. Sorry, Megan, your house didn't smell very good. <laughs> uh, but when they grew those peppers, Oh man, that smelled good. But you know what I noticed? Not once, in all my walking around farm fields around town, and I've done lots of miles walking on farm roads, not once have I seen a field where a couple of strands are cotton, and then a couple of strands are peppers, and a couple of strands are hay. I never saw a little bit of hay growing up in the middle of the cotton, or a little bit of cotton growing up in the middle of the peppers. What they planted is what came out. What they sowed is what they reap. And so sometimes there's trash that grows up, wild weeds and that, uh, but what they plant is what comes out. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he's saying, what you plant, 
is what comes out of your life. What you sow is what you're going to reap. So uh, he says again, whatever you sow, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You can't deceive God. You can't make fun of God. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Somebody said you're going to sow what you reap. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap later than what you sow. And you're going to reap more than what you sow. Sometimes one corn kernel planted can produce a whole corn crop. You're going to produce more than what you sow. But then he says in verse 8, He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Now, we're, he ties this together with goodness in just a moment. But I remember Romans 14, 12, he says, So then each of us will give account of himself to God. Each of us will give account of himself to God. That's going to happen. You're going to have to do it. I'm going to have to do it. We're going to give account of ourselves to God. So how many of you ever got called into the principal's office for misbehaving in school or anything like that? Yeah, most of the guys' hands went off. <laughs> Not all the girls' hands went off. Uh, but, you know, uh, Jeff Miller was like, <laughs> talking to me. One time we met over in my study, he came in, he said, I feel like I got summoned to the principal's office. <laughs> And I just wanted to get his feedback on something. It wasn't negative at all. He wasn't in trouble. But it made me want him to be in trouble. <laughs> but I couldn't because he was just too good. You know? But listen, there's going to come a day when you and I will give a count. Now, that sounds really scary. But the one who's going to be judging us is Jesus Christ, the one who loved us so much he died for us. And what he wants to do is reward you. He wants to give you blessings and benefits for your faithfulness. So, yes, it will be a little bit scary if you've not been following the Lord. But if you're honestly trying to follow the Lord, it'll be a great day. In fact, my, my uh, I don't remember which, one of my daughters got summoned to the principal's office in high school. Oh, yeah, I just probably made it. But, but when they got summoned to the principal's office in high school, the only reason they went there was so the principal could present an award to them. When I got summoned to the principal's office in high school, it was a little different. <laughs> so Christ wants to reward you. He wants to, so what you're sowing in your life now, you're going to reap later on. The life that you now have right now today is a gift from your past you. You have given this gift to your current you. Well, today you can give a better gift to the future you than what you receive from the past you if you get you right. You get me? Right. It makes sense to me. But 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. God will either, Jesus Christ will either give you rewards for your faithful service or he will withhold those rewards because you failed to earn them. So um, this is part of goodness. How do we know that? Well, look at the, some of your Bibles are in paragraph four. 
Some of your Bibles, every verse starts on the left, and then it writes out the verse, and so the numbers just go straight down in column. My Bible is arranged by paragraph and pericope, so it's not broken out separately like that. And if you have one like mine, then that all of this is a one paragraph, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, are all the same paragraph. So all four verses tie together. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. So we're going to be reaping. We're going to have consequences for our actions, for our behavior, for what we're doing. And so don't grow weary while doing good. Sometimes, quite often, it seems our world rewards those who don't do good. The selfish people, the self-centered ones, often get the promotion or get elected or get off in court. And, and it feels like being good really doesn't help. But it will help. In the long-term scheme of things, you will definitely be better off if you do good now. So, so doing good or well-doing at verse 9, this is doing something beautiful or precious, uh, making the world a better place because you live here. You're doing good. The world's better off because you live on planet Earth. Now, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he wants you to be doing good. Now, if I went around the room and I asked you, what's some good thing that you did this past week? Uh, some of you would think of things, and some of you would think of things somebody else didn't do. Like, how many of you made a meal to benefit somebody else this week? Maybe you also benefited, but you made the meal, all right? How many of you went to the store or took somebody to the store this week to help them out, all right? How many of you uh, were kind to a neighbor or a coworker this week? Oh, a few hands up, or actually more. I'm just, you're not raising them up high enough for me to see them. Um, we can, there's lots of ways we can do good. Now, chances are a gourmet cook would not want to come over and eat what I fix, unless I went and bought a gourmet pizza. But you can help people. You can make the world a better place because you live here. That's kind of the idea of verse 9, doing good. Now, if you can look back on your week and not think of anything you did to help somebody or bless somebody, then you need to have a better week this coming week. Don't just receive blessings, but give them out. Or make a phone call, send a text, uh, send a letter. Postcards still work, you know. They still go through the system. 
and so doing good, you're making the world a better place. And then in verse 10, he also mentions to do good, but he uses it slightly differently. Useful, purposeful, right, appropriate. There's a moral excellence. Doing the right thing in every relationship every day. Doing the right thing in every relationship every day. Now, on average, you know, you could do great. You could be a 95% in your relationships. You, you only blow it 5% of the time. And on earth, that's like almost perfect score, right? We always round up. But in heaven, that's called failure. We have the capacity to do good 100% of the time, to be a blessing in somebody else's life. Now, it's interesting, who wrote this book, Galatians? The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia. He had started the church, and now he's writing back to them. He's writing to them, what was the main reason he was writing to them? There were false teachers who had come in and started corrupting the gospel. They said, well, you need to believe on Jesus, and then you also need to follow the Jewish rituals, and then you also need to do these other good works. And so this is how you get saved. You believe and do and do, and that's how you get saved. But Jesus said, that's not how it works. You believe and you get saved. Paul shared the gospel many times in many places, and he said, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So the, the good works that you're supposed to do come after salvation, and they're separate from salvation. So the false teachers were corrupting the gospel. And so Paul spent most of this book explaining how you're saved only through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then the good works come after that. But then at the conclusion of this book, he comes back to, hey, do the good works. Do the good works as proof that you have been saved. Hey, just turn it one page over. Well, it's one page in my Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. It might be more pages in yours. Ephesians chapter 2. And, and uh, we already looked at verse 10 a little bit earlier. Uh, but in Ephesians 2, uh, beginning of verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So pause there just for a moment. You're saved by faith through grace. By grace through faith. Sorry. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Then verse 10 is part of the same paragraph. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now he's saying, look, you are saved by grace. You're saved by faith. And then, then you do your good works. Doing good works, what they were doing in Galatia was saying, you have to be believe, and then you have to do these works, and then you can be saved. But Paul was saying, you have to believe, and then you're saved, and then you do these works. So they, they had it out of order. They were corrupting the gospel message. You don't get saved by doing good works. There are entire churches or pseudo-churches that are funded 
by challenging people to give lots of money so that they can be saved, to help guarantee their spot in heaven. And they're taught they have to do works and works and works to be saved. There's churches that I can name right here in this town, in our community, uh, within three, four, five miles of this church. There's several of them that teach that you have to do these works in order to be saved. That's the only way to guarantee your way into heaven. And, and yet the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The only way to guarantee your way into heaven is to say, I can't get there by works. I can only get there by belief and trusting in Jesus Christ. But we, we love that part, right? We love that we're saved by grace, that it's not of works. But now that you have been saved, now you're supposed to do the works. Now that you have matured some in your faith, your works should be maturing. So what are you doing for the Lord? How is the world a better place because you're here? Uh, not only that, but goodness is a perfect example of the divine human partnership that we enjoy once we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And what in the world is a divine human partnership? All right, in that scenario, well, who do we mean by divine? There's only one divine. Other people call themselves divine, but there's only one, and that's God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, the Trinity of the divinity, God. And so the divine human partnership is God partnering with a person or persons. God partnering with and the coming together of God working with you or me, or people just like us. So this divine human partnership starts out with God to you. God reaches out to you. So the first part of it is God to you. Uh, uh, Jesus said in uh, John 6, 44, you cannot be saved unless the Father's drawing you. He, uh, Paul says the Holy Spirit is drawing you to salvation as well. And Jesus Christ is the one who died on the cross to secure your salvation. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all working to bring you to a place where you can trust and believe in God. God to you. God reaching out to you. If God had not reached out to you, none of you could have been saved. Jesus said you cannot be saved except when the Father's drawing you. You respond to what God is doing. So for some people, this process takes years and even decades. But for everyone, it happens the same way. God reveals himself through conscience and creation. And if a person rejects that, then God doesn't give him more revelation. Um, but if he does not reject it, God will give him a little more. Hebrews 11.6 said, God rewards those who diligently seek him. God reveals himself to those who are seeking him. So when God gives you a little bit of light, if you accept that, you move a little closer, God gives you some more and some more and some more until you can believe and trust in him. God to you. Now, when I was a little kid, I wasn't very athletic. I got quite athletic in high school, especially in running. Uh, but as a little kid, I wasn't. And 
Uh, I was never picked. You know, when they pick up teams in the neighborhood, literally, I was never picked. At the end, it was like, you take care of it. No, you take care of it. You take care of it. No, you take care of it. Uh, unless we were playing football, nobody wanted me on their team. For some reason, I could really throw a football quite well, and I often played quarterback. But anything else, I, I was never picked. And God picked me to be on his team. He drew me toward himself. He revealed himself through conscience and creation. And then he revealed himself through the teaching and preaching and the messages that I heard from my mom and dad, my Sunday school teachers and my pastors, and my children's ministry leaders. He, he revealed himself. And so that's the first part of the divine human partnership is God to you. The second part is you to God. Now, in salvation, this is where you recognize that you're a sinner, and you call out to the Lord, and you ask him to forgive you of your sins, and to be your Savior. You are responding to God. Now, I heard somewhere around 4,000 Bible lessons and sermons before I got saved. I grew up in church. I was in the cradle role in church. In fact, I was in the hospital for a couple of months when I was first born. But the Sunday after I got out of the hospital, I was in church. And I grew up in the nursery and in the children's ministries and all that. So I heard Bible lessons all the time. I heard sermon after sermon after sermon. And so around 4,000 sermons and Bible class lessons that I heard before I trusted Christ. Some people hear the gospel presented one time and they trust Christ. They hear it, they believe, they respond. But you cannot get saved if the Father's not drawing you, the Spirit's not working in you. And, and then when God is drawing you, you respond in faith. And so I heard it, and, and there were times when I thought I should do it. And I think that's probably when the Father was drawing me and bringing conviction in my life. And I thought I should do it, but I didn't want to, because then I would have accountability to God. I, I erroneously thought I had no accountability to God as long as I didn't respond. Everybody answers to God. And then when I trusted him and I believed on him, that was my response. That was me to God. And so God draws us. We respond by faith. We're saved. God's grace. And then our faith brings us into salvation. So after in the partnership continues, now God responds back to you. You have responded to him, and he responds to you. Uh, you. He completes the work that Jesus did on the cross. Now, what Jesus did on the cross was complete. He said, it's finished. So there isn't an incomplete part of it. But see, it didn't make a difference in your life until you trusted Jesus Christ. He died to pay the penalty for your sins, but it didn't make a difference in your life to you asked him to be your savior, and then it made a difference in your life. So Jesus paid it all at Calvary, but he didn't become my savior. He was always the savior. Ever since that day on the cross, ever since he rose from the grave, he's been the savior, but he became my savior on August the 10th, 1976, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
and then he became my Savior. And that's how it is in your life. And Jesus always responds favorably when people come to him. Some people say, oh, God wouldn't accept me. He wouldn't forgive me. I've done too many bad things, too many wrong things. Well, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm mixing up verses. If we, how does it start? We confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it doesn't matter how bad you were, all that unrighteousness will be forgiven because that's what he does. That's the right thing for him to do. And so uh, he always responds favorably to those who come to him for salvation. In his own words, he said, I will not cast out anyone. They come to him, he will save them. He never changes his mind. Once you're saved, he doesn't say, oh, no, I'm really tired of you. You know? He, he didn't try to save Roger. How old were you when you got saved, Roger? Twelve. Twelve. Twelve years old. That was, you know, a decade or two or something ago. No, not seven. Uh, Roger got saved when he was 12 years old. And, you know, when Roger was 13 and 16 and learning to drive a car and 20 and serving as a cop, God didn't say, you know, I'm tired of Roger. You know, he's just not growing fast enough. You're no longer in, Roger. You're out. God doesn't do that. Once you're in, you're in. He makes you part of his eternal family because he responds back to you, this divine human partnership. He shows grace to you. You respond in faith. Now he showers you with blessing. And then, number four, there's God in you. This is part of this process. God in you. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives inside you. Jesus was the incarnation, all capital letters. God incarnate, God in the flesh. But you are the incarnation, all lowercase letters. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside you. You have God incarnate, God in you through the Holy Spirit. And so you can represent Jesus on earth. He came to live inside you to produce goodness in your heart and soul. Titus 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. So not only does the Holy Spirit give us the capacity to do good and to have goodness be part of our life, he gives us the desire to make that happen. It can be something that we want to pursue. You redirect your thoughts and your actions to pursue what is good and wholesome and excellent and appropriate. You allow his goodness to alter your hopes and your dreams, your thoughts, your actions, your personalities. Now, before I got saved, I planned out my life. I had already decided what I wanted to do. I wanted to be CIA black ops. I was going to go around the world and terrorize people. That was my dream and my desire. And then I got saved and I thought, I'm not sure Jesus would want me to go take out the bad people so much as reach people. 
So I became a Marine. Right? A little bit better. But listen, when God dwells inside you, you start to change. By the time Kathy and I ever had our first date, I already did not have any interest in being CIA black ops. But after my first date with Kathy, I didn't have any desire on not only not dating anybody else, but not going anywhere else. I told my parents when I went in the Marine Corps, man, I get out of town, I'm gone. I'm out of here. You'll never see me in Tucson again. I graduated from boot camp, and I was on the road home to see Kathy. <laughs> Things change. God in you changes you. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. And now being good is not a theoretical thing. It's not a childhood thing. It can become a daily pursuit. You direct your thoughts and actions, your hopes, your dreams, your uh, personality changes. In fact, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, he says, test all things, prove that which is good. Hold fast to that which is good. Hang on to what is good. Test it, prove it, evaluate it, analyze it, and then choose the good. That's what we're supposed to be doing in response to what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. But there's one more step in this divine human partnership, and that is God through you. God through you. Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. You share his goodness with others. So, I picked a, a picture of an emergency response team on purpose. You are part of God's spiritual emergency response team. That's your role. When there's a crisis, you are to be one of the first ones that God wants to see step up and help. When there is no crisis, he still wants you involved, still wants you training, still wants you helping people wherever you go, every day that you go. So an MT, that when they're off duty, if an MT's in the grocery store and they're off duty and they see a person collapse, they don't just say, oh wow, I'm glad it's my day off. <laughs> Most of the time, the good MTs, uh, EMTs, they're going to run to that person. They're going to try and help that person because that's who they are. That's what they do. Well, you're a spiritual EMT, and that's what you do. You respond to people. You help people. Uh, you step up. You, like Jesus, go about doing good. That's who we are. That's what we do. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they make up things and say lies about you, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Your good works can help turn their life, turn their heart, and they can follow Christ. You are a difference maker to everyone God brings into your life. You have that 
capacity to bring good out of bad, to be a help. Years ago, I had the opportunity to serve as a chaplain, and I served with the Arizona Department of Public Safety. I was a chaplain. I rode with them for you know, the last couple of years. I served as a chaplain. I was the supervisory chaplain over the statewide program. Uh, I had to cut back because it was uh, too too much work, and I had some health things, so I stepped back from that. Uh, but it was a blessing when I did it and while I did it. And, you know, it was so neat to be able to help people that I otherwise would not have met. But one of the coolest things for me was that I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of officers. In fact, while I served as a chaplain, we had a couple officers who came here to this church. And I got to talk with them and help them. Uh, sometimes they were already Christians, and I got to help disciple them in the Lord. Uh, but one guy, I went with him, and the first time I rode with him, he was kind of antagonistic. His sergeant assigned me to ride with him because he was having a few issues with this officer. And, well, maybe the chaplain can straighten him out. So <laughs> he assigned me to go with him. The guy wasn't really happy because he knew his sergeant put me in the car, and he thought I was a spy. And I told him, look, you can tell me anything. It's completely confidential. Unless you're a threat to yourself or to somebody else, I can never share what you share with me. And uh, he didn't really trust me that first time. And then we were out on a scene together, and I got to help him on the scene and be a help to him. And then he went through a difficult situation in his life. A wonder of wonders. He called me. And I got to go and help him through that and encourage him and really make a difference. He credits me with saving his marriage. It was God that saved his marriage. But, uh, but then he ended up trusting Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he, why did that change? Well, all I did was go about doing what the Bible said, doing good, trying to help, trying to make a difference. And God used that to take this guy from a path that was heading straight to hell to a path that's already reserved spot in heaven with his name on it. See, God works through you and you and you and you and you and you and you. Kids, he works through you. He even works through dust. Because <laughs> he's an awesome God. And, and he will partner with you and work with you and help you and you can be a blessing to other people. And by the way, Dawson's been a blessing to me many times. He's just fun to pick on. Part of it is he doesn't get mad at me. He just kind of rolls his eyes. There he goes again. Listen, <laughs> so James 4, 17 says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is what? It is sin. It's not just not as good to not do good. It's sin. It's wrong. It's bad. You have the capacity to do good because the fruit of the Spirit includes goodness. It includes goodness. Is it growing in you? Here's a test you could try. You could go home, and if you live alone, it'll be a little harder. Um, but if you live with other people, 
Ask them, do I seem gooder than I used to be? Am, am I growing? Do you see progress? And if they say no, then listen to them. It might be the Holy Spirit speaking into your life. Because what the Holy Spirit wants to do is have you live in a way that your goodness then blesses the people around you. Because that's who he is, that's what he does, and that's what he wants you to do. So, is it growing in you? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace. Thank you that we can be saved by grace, that we can respond in faith to you, that we can believe and trust, and then thank you that you will then use us to accomplish your good work here on planet Earth. We're so blessed to be part of your team, of your family, of your church. We pray that we would honor you and, and bless the lives of people around us and even be a blessing to you as you smile upon the faithful goodness of your kids. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you should do that today. If you have trusted Him, you should pursue goodness more intentionally, more actively, Make a difference in this world. This world should be a better place because you live in it. And not just because you're so beautiful, but because your character is so beautiful and the goodness flows out of you. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.